0: We have right up here with us uh, Pastor Jimmy Davis, who's uh, recently graduated from Talbot Theological Seminary, and he is going to deliver God's word for us today. He is super excited about this, so uh, uh, let us be blessed. The youth are not dismissed, they're allowed to stay here today. So, uh, uh, Pastor Jimmy, uh, what a blessing. I am going to set up here real quick Starbucks coffee, check. Word of God, check. It's the two things you need to give a sermon. Um, yeah. So yeah, my title of today's sermon is "Rules for Fight Club." Now, who can tell me what's the first rule of Fight Club? Don't talk about Fight Club. Yeah. What's the second rule of Fight Club? Someone from over here. What's the second rule of Fight Club? Don't Talk About Fight Club. Well, I'm going to break both those rules today, because today we're going to talk about fighting. Uh, This comes in another word. We kind of call it conflict uh, as well, but I'm going to refer to it as fighting. Now, the reason why I kind of thought up this topic as today's standalone sermon, meaning it's not part of a series, uh, is that something very special is happening in my life in exactly four weeks... Uh, called Marriage. Um, and interestingly, you know what the most common piece of advice that I've gotten? Don't do it. <laughs> Not kidding, but I mean, it was just as a joke, as a joke that they, they tell me this. But the, serious, the seriousness is, the most common piece of advice I would say that I've gotten is, it's going to be hard. Right? It's going to be difficult. And... Uh, I don't need to be married to know that it's going to be difficult. You know, if, if you're a high schooler, right, you have friends at school, you know what conflict looks like, right? If you've been a part of a family, you've been in arguments with mom and dad, you've had fights with your roommate, you know, you don't need to be a married person to know that conflict is a very real thing. And the reason why I want to talk about this and to share with you some things that Scripture talks about when it comes to fighting is because everybody fights. You will fight. Hands down, no matter what, if it's a mom, dad, brother, sister, roommate, friend, coworker, spouse, you will fight. Okay? And we need to know how to fight. And I love that Scripture is not silent on the issue, but has a lot to say about it. So first let me begin by saying, like, is fighting bad? In other words... Do we think that the mark of a healthy relationship should be that you should never have conflict? You and your spouse never fight. You and your roommate never get into arguments. You never fight with mom and dad. If you had perfect peace, isn't that the mark of a healthy relationship? And I would say no. A couple who came to me and told me, oh, we don't fight. We, we never have conflict. You know what it tells me? It tells me that you guys live completely separate lives. It means that you guys are just roommates, and that's it. You have no idea what's going on in each other's lives because you avoid each other at all costs. So I don't think that fighting is bad. I actually think that fighting is good. So one of the questions that I have been asked a lot is, why Francis? Now, I mean, they don't say it like in that way, like, <laughs> why for of all people, why Francis? Uh, it's more like, why me? But, uh, and there's a lot of reasons I can give you for for why Francis, but one of those reasons is her and I fight well. That was a deal. So in in our dating time, okay, one of my deal breakers that I was catching for, looking for in Francis is, I'm just waiting for us to get into a fight because I need to know if she can fight. I need to know if her and I can fight well. And by fight well, I mean we get into an argument, we get into a fight, what does she say? What do I say? How does she say it? How do I say it? And do we walk out of this holding hands when it's all said and done? Now, an interesting thing, and maybe a lot of the married couples here can attest to this, you ever find it strange that, you know, things were fine, you, you thought, you know, you and him and her, you guys were close, and then something came between you, and you fought, but you worked through it, and interestingly, you became closer than you were before the fight. Like for some reason, it's like you fought, you fought well, you reconciled, and now you went from a place where you thought you were close to a place that now you're even closer, you're even tighter than you were before the fight. So a lot of times, actually, if you fight well, if we fight according to the way God wants us to fight, you could actually improve the status of whatever relationship that you're in. Now, today we're going to kind of see... Uh, what Scripture has to say about fight, fighting in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We will be kind of starting with verse 1, but it's Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we will also have all the Scripture here on, <clears throat> on the PowerPoint. So again, that is Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 1, uh, let me read it here for us. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, I would note something very interesting in there is that do you notice that there's a lot of rules in there? Like, there's rules. There's like, be humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another in love. Rules, 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 rules. So let me ask you a question. Are rules important when it comes to fighting? Are rules important in fights? I mean, two boxers, they come into the ring, right? And I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. This doesn't happen all the time. But have you ever seen two boxers come in the middle of the ring and they, uh, they bump gloves? You know, they just, boom, bump gloves, What does that mean? Why do they do that? What does that stand for? It's mutual respect. You know, they're two boxers, they're gonna fight. You know it's gonna happen, they're gonna fight, but can they still show each other mutual respect? Yeah. You and the person that you're upset with, you're gonna fight. But can you show them some respect when going into the fight? I think we can. Rules are important in a fight. I mean, the boxers are laying into each other blow after blow after blow. The bell rings, and all of a sudden there's another person in the ring, too. Who's that person? The ref. The referee important. What's he there for? He's there to enforce the rules of the fight. Because if there are no rules to the fight, then that's called a street fight. And in a street fight, that's where people really get hurt. And right? I don't think God calls you and I to get into street fights you know, with husband, wife, mom, dad, roommate, brother, sister, I think it's okay for us to be like boxers, come into the boxing rings, bump gloves, Jesus is the referee, okay, and we follow the rules, because rules are important. One of the first rules that we'll get from Ephesians uh, chapter 4, okay, is um, to speak up. Let me explain that here in a second. It's going to go to Uh, The next verse is going to be in verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So I want to spend some time really highlighting one particular verb for you. I think one of the most important rules you need to know about fighting is you need to speak up, okay? It says put off falsehood, okay, and speak truthfully. The reason why this is important, or I feel like it's important, because if you're like me, if you're like me, you're a people pleaser, okay? If you're like me, you're afraid to rock the boat. You're afraid to make somebody upset. If you're like me, okay, it's better to just stay quiet about what's happening to you and just pretend like it's okay. I would rather embrace falsehood, okay, and say this situation's okay when it's really not okay. I'm just too afraid to bring it up to you. I'm afraid. Even I get afraid. When someone comes up to me and says, hey, Jimmy, we we, we need to talk. We need to have a conversation. Arjun's smiling because this is the way my relationship kind of started with Yuli. I'll share it real quick. Five years ago, Yuli sends me an email I just became the youth pastor. He sends me an email, and he says, we need to talk. (laughs) I don't even know you, Lee. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Here's an upset youth parent. What did I do? I messed up. He's calling me out, emailing me, because he's going to chew me out. And it it turns out he just wanted to to get to know me. (laughs) Okay, but that's me, okay? And I don't know if you're like that too, right? If someone pulls you aside and says, hey, we need to talk, and all of a sudden you're worried what they're going to say, Okay, but the fact of the matter is, is, you and I, we can't be afraid to, sp- to speak up. Okay? And I think that there's a serious consequence to when you stay silent, when you don't speak up about the abuse or speak up about what's happening to you, is you let the devil get a foothold. Now, I wanted to ask Charles to do this earlier. I'm not going to ask you to do it now. But I was going to ask Charles to come up here and put me in like a chokehold You know, maybe Josh, too. I know he can do it, too. All right? Just to give you guys, like, a real visual, okay, that when you don't speak up, when you don't, you know, pull your neighbor aside, okay, what you're doing is you're allowing the devil access to your marriage, access to your roommate situation, access to your family, okay? Now, I'm sure, like, a lot of the social workers in this room can probably explain to me psychologically why battered women keep going back to their abuser, but I think in the spiritual world of it is I think the devil really makes these women buy into the lie that you deserve this. This is the way you ought to be treated, okay? Your situation's not that bad, okay? And it's horrible. It's a lie from the devil, okay? I think when spouses, okay, they avoid conflict, I think it allows the devil into the marriage where one spouse is like, you know what? I give up trying to talk to her. It's always my fault anyway, right? So sometimes us guys, we're just like, just just say yes. Just say yes, dear. It's my fault. I don't want to fight. It's my fault. Let it go. All right. You know, you don't really discuss the problem. Nothing really ever gets fixed. Or you know what the more common one, too, that we see is in churches? In churches, there are people who don't agree with something going on at church, and so they start speaking about people, about church, and what, the people they're speaking about, okay, they're not even saying that to the person they ought to be speaking that to. Okay? I know you guys know what I'm, I'm talking about. You guys have seen this in, from church to church. Okay? But the point is, Scripture says you've got to speak up whether you're married or not married, whether you're in high school, you have friends, whether you have a roommate, a parent, all right, you have to speak up because to stay silent allows the devil access to just ruin that relationship. So I really want to say that that's the most first and most important rule. Now, some of you have no problem with this. Some of you have no problem speaking up and pointing out the faults of somebody else. Some of you guys are very okay <laughs> with saying, this is your fault, and I'm going to let you know. Well, there's a rule for you too. And this, uh, this rule comes in verse uh, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that they may benefit those who listen. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, there's a very important rule is this. How you say something is just as important as what you say. Say that again. How you say something is just as important as what you say. Now, to best illustrate this, let me share a story of Jimmy Davis in middle school basketball. I'm on the basketball team, all right? I'm not very good, uh, just be honest, okay? And I I didn't enjoy being on the basketball team, you know why? Because the coach kept yelling at me, always yelling at me, yell, 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 like this guy was never nice, and I wanted to quit. I'm like, why should I put up with all this yelling? This is not what I signed up for. And I was about to quit, and my older brother pulled me aside, and he he gave me really good advice. He said, Jimmy, look, listen to what the coach says, not how he says it. All right? He goes, I promise you, Jimmy, if you just listen to what he says and not how he says it, you're going to be okay. And I applied that principle, and I had a great experience in basketball. Just listening to what the coach said, not how he says it. Not good advice for marriage. <laughs> L- uh, seriously, let me ask like, all like, the married people in the room for a second. Can, can you imagine if I went up to Frances and I told her, what's your problem? Listen to what I say, not how I say it. All right? How would that turn out for me? I might be sleeping on Yuli's couch, actually. It's probably what's going to happen. All right? That does not work in marriage. How you say something is just as important as what you say. So yes, do we need to speak up about what's going on between you and this person? Yes. But how you go about doing it is also just as important. That means you can't go up and just start using you language. You, 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 you did this, you do that. You got to use more I language. This is how I felt when you did this. This is what I thought when you did that. Okay? It also means staying away from universals. Okay? Universals are, are words like always or never. Okay? Charles, you never take out the trash. You know? Danny, you're always late. You know? Sam, you, you never come home on time when you're supposed to. You know, stay away from, from universals, don't those aren't helpful. And then last bit of like tip too is attack the problem, not the person. And so many of us, we get caught up with, I want to speak up. I want to speak up, and I want to speak up about you. And you start attacking the person, or you feel like you're being attacked. When, the, when you guys are supposed to be same team, let's attack the problem and be on the same team. Okay? So yes, speak up, because it allows the devil access, but how you go about saying it has to be with grace. Now, I kind of come up with this chart and talking about love is both... Uh, truth and grace. You can go ahead and put it up, Susan. Uh, And I just want to briefly kind of describe this uh, chart just to give you a little bit of a visual. I think it kind of helps paint a picture of different relationships we can see. So it's a very simple grid. Yes, no, yes, no, truth, grace. Um, In a place where there is no truth, okay, that means means you don't tell the person what they need to hear. You just tell the person what they want to hear. Okay? That's what it means by no truth. You don't speak up. Uh, no grace, that means you're not kind with what you say, how you say it. You're not forgiving. You're not gracious. You're not patient. If you're in a relationship where there is no truth-telling and there is no grace, okay, I call it an asylum. Like, it's just a prison. You guys are just locked up. You're completely separate lives. You're in the comatose state, and you just have no idea what's going on about anything. Okay? I think that's part of the worst of the worst that you could be in. Now you could move up, okay, and you could have a relationship where there is truth telling, but there's no graciousness and there's no patience. And we do feel this, we do see this in maybe our jobs. Okay? I, I call it more of like a business format, okay? Where you do have a manager, you do have a boss, you're getting progress reports, right? You're, you're getting updates on how uh, well you're doing at your job but maybe sometimes like that grace component's not there just like hey brandon you're not making quota okay that's the truth now get out that's no grace okay now you could have it the other way around right where you have grace but no truth meaning you're in this community okay and there's a lot of love and patience and everything's like rainbows and butterflies but no one is telling you the truth. Everyone is telling you what you want to hear and not so much telling you what you need to hear. Now, I've, I've been with this church since the beginning. Three years. Some of you have known me for the last five years. I, I will say this honestly. You guys know my heart. But I confess I have a great deal of fear that we're in the country club category sometimes. Like, I love my church, and I love the love that we have here in this church. But I'll just be honest. Like, sometimes I have a worry or a concern that we're a country club and haven't reached this place of speaking the truth to each other. And it could be because I'm part of the problem. I'm too afraid to, remember, to rock the boat. But I really hope, guys, that we can move to a place that has both truth and and grace, that we are being vocal about our concerns and issues and worries, and we're working through that with grace and forgiveness? Because let me just point out that even your relationship with God can look like that. Now, The book of 1 John says Jesus came in truth and grace. means when Jesus came, he was very real and upfront about your sin, didn't hide it. But he also came and died on the cross and showed you grace. He does a yes grace, yes truth kind of lifestyle. For some people, they see God as only truth and no grace. That's the kind of God who, who manages you. You're afraid of that God because you're afraid he's going to punish you. Right? He's not going to show you grace and only truth. But then you could have the, uh, the fluffy Jesus who just is always going to be on your side. He's never going to talk about your sin. He's always going to forgive you if you mess up, charge it on the Grace American Express, right? Jesus is not a country club, and Jesus is not a business. Jesus is, yes, truth, and yes, grace. Real about your sin, and yet gracious about it. Now, I want to move into this time of just finishing up Ephesians 4, discussing it in two categories. In a fight, how many parties do you need, necessarily, do you need to have a fight? Minimum of two, right? So let me paint the two categories, and then I'm going to give you the rules for which category, depending on which category you fall in. Now, you have one person who commits the action, who commits the sin, right? Someone who does the the damage. And the second party is called the victim, right? The one who is sinned against. There's rules for both. We're going to start with rules or if you're the one who sins, okay? This is going to come in verse, uh, should be 29, or no, 28. <clears throat> verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Now, you could read this verse and be like, why all of a sudden is there's this tangent verse about stealing? What does that have to do with conflict or arguing? And I would tell you, the, the point isn't the fact that it's stealing. Take a more general approach. The fact of the matter is you have somebody who's doing something they're not supposed to do, and now they're told to stop doing that and start doing the correct thing. Okay, We have a word for this. It's called repentance, right? You don't hear that word too often anymore in the church. In fact, repentance has almost become what we, we call a four-letter word, okay? We don't say this word, but it's a very huge and important word. We need to know what repentance is, how it works, and why we need to uh, need to be doing it. Now, in order to kind of describe to you what repentance is, I find it helpful sometimes to describe what it's not, okay? Or what repentance does not mean, okay? First, repentance does not mean waiting to get caught, okay? You don't wait to get caught. In fact, a lot of you, okay, even if you're not a a follower of Jesus, you have what's called a conscience. You know when you mess up. Now, for those who are followers of Jesus, you have a plus. You have the Holy Spirit, okay? Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit's very good at his job, okay? And he will convict of sin. That's what he's supposed to do. When you say the wrong thing, when you do the wrong thing, you, you know you messed up. So repentance is, you don't wait to get caught. You come clean. In fact, a lot of the times, if you come clean before they have that conversation with you, if you start that conversation before they start I think it might even lower the, the punch a little bit. I think. I don't know. I'm not married yet. Uh, repentance okay, is not denying sin. Okay. Repentance is, isn't. I didn't do it. It's not my fault. Right. And this starts really young. Right. You ever had like your child when they were really little, and maybe they still do it today, and they say like, you know, who broke the cookie jar? And they're like. It wasn't me. You know, it starts young. And we look at kids, right? And we say, how could they not take responsibility for something that they did when a lot of times we don't take responsibility for what we do? So it's important for us to to demonstrate to our kids, I think, you need to show them, hey, you know what? Mom and dad, mom messed up today. You know, dad messed up today. You need to see this. And I'm going to confess and I'm going to own up to this. And hopefully that rubs off on on our kids. So it's not denying sin. It's not minimizing sin. I love this one. I love this one. Okay? It is not, you know, Peter, come on. Why are you making this such a big deal? Oh, come on. Kehoe, it's not that bad. Come on. Or, hey, Mark, it could have been worse. All right? This is called minimizing sin. Repentance is not minimizing sin. It's seeing it for what it really is. Repentance isn't defending sin, okay? It isn't saying, hey, you know what? I, I, I know I messed up, but I'm, I'm managing it, okay? I'm, I'm handling it. I'll, I'll handle it. Don't worry. I got, I, I got it covered. And I think that that's stupid logic, stupid logic. Can you imagine, like, a spouse going up, you know, to his wife and be like, hey, honey, I only cheated on you twice this month, you know, it's better than last month when I cheated on you five times. You know, I'm, I'm making progress. It's, it's, you know, working. It's like that's stupid logic. You don't, you don't deny uh, defend sin, okay? Repentance isn't blame shifting, right? This is a common one, right? Oh, I, I, I did it, but you made me angry. You know, I, I, I resent you, but that's because you didn't hug me. You know, whatever it is, there's a reason why I did this, and the reason is you're the reason, This never would have happened had it not been for you. That's blame shifting. That's not what repentance is. Repentance doesn't point to the sins of other people. You ever see this where it's like, you know, you get called out for something and you go, you know, you got a lot of nerve. Let's talk about me. Let's talk about you for a second, right? Remember when you did this and it's like, hold on, hold on. We'll we'll get to me in a second. But repentance doesn't start shifting the blame and pointing to somebody else's sin. Because then you just start firing back and forth. It's a vicious cycle. Maybe you've been there. You know what I'm talking about. Repentance, okay, it doesn't manipulate God or people. Sometimes people will will say, you know, I repent. And they think, oh, God has to bless me because I'm repenting, right? Uh, You have to forgive me because I'm repenting. So that means I should get my job back. Okay? God should give my job back, I should get my marriage back,? Right? I should get my stuff back, like, whatever it is. No, it, repentance, you don't do repentance to get something. You know why you do repentance? Because it's the right thing to do, but you don't do it to get something out of it. And then uh, sorry, repentance isn't feeling sorry. Now, should you have feelings of, of sorry? I think so.? Okay? It's called remorse but should you only have sorry feelings? Is that enough? And I would say, no. Okay, we want change. We want to see action. There's this really kind of funny inside joke, now it's funny, at the time it wasn't, between Francis and I, where I I stepped in it bad, and I messed up, and I felt really bad, I felt really sorry, and I told her, I am so sorry, I'm so sorry. And you know what she said? Don't apologize. Stop apologizing. She just kept yelling, "Don't apologize." I'm like, "I'm sorry again." Stop apologizing. I'm sorry. Okay, it's funny now. Like when I make her upset, I go, "All right, I'm not going to apologize." You know. And but the reason why she does that, right, is because she doesn't just want my apology. You know, she wants change. She wants me to stop doing what I was doing. I've been good. Finally okay, repentance is not just grieving the consequences, all right? Yes, be afraid of the consequences, but you, we need to come to a place, okay, repentance is coming to a place where you see the sinfulness of the sin, okay? You're not just sorry for the sin, you're sorry for the sinfulness of the sin. Do you see and feel the difference of what I'm talking about? I love Dallas Willard. He's a really great author. you got to pick up his books, please do. He shares a story about he was walking on USC campus and he steps in dog poop. And he just looks at his shoe, sees dog poop, gives it a look like, "Oh my gosh, you ever stepped in dog poop and just you know what you you know what your face looks like when you're looking?" He goes, "If I could see my sin the way I see the bottom of my shoe, that's a good day." That's what Dallas words. I was like, guys, we need to not just be afraid of the consequences of sin. Repentance means you're sorry for the sinfulness of the sin. You feel how God feels about your sin. And we say we don't want that in our relationships, and we don't want that with with God. Repentance. If you are the one who sins, God says the rules of this fight are for you. The rule is repent. Repent and seek forgiveness. Okay? You start the conversation. You go make it right. Don't wait. Now what about the other, the other party? What if you are the one who is sinned against? All right, this picks up for you in verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ just as in christ god forgave you now if you're the one who sinned against we already said this right you need to speak up if you are sinned against you need to say something and remember how you say something is just as important as what you say so you got to speak up because some sometimes people they don't even know they're being a bully they don't even know they're being a bully they just think that's the way the relationship works until you speak up and say something. But aside from speaking up, Scripture says you need to forgive. You need to forgive. Now, in the same way that I found it helpful to say what repentance does not mean, let me walk you us through real quick what forgiveness does not mean. What's not forgiveness? Okay? Forgiveness does not mean ignoring sin. Right? Forgiveness isn't, turn, I'm turning a blind eye, all right? That thing that Thomas is doing, I'm not going to look at it. We're not going to acknowledge it. We're not going to talk about it. just going to forgive and pretend it's not there, okay? That is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not pretending everything is okay. You know what some of us tend to do, and I'm guilty of this, is I forgive too quickly, or I forgive too easily. Someone wrongs me, and I'll be like, hey, Jerry, don't worry about it, no big, no big deal, all right? Oh, hey, Ryan, dude, don't worry about it, man, don't sweat it, you know? No, no big deal, you know? What if it is a big deal, you know? What if I'm not making it a big deal because I don't want to have this conversation with you right now, but I I'd totally kill our relationship if I don't do it justice. We don't really talk about what is a big deal. So you can't pretend it's okay, and you can't be too quick sometimes to give your forgiveness, Forgiveness is not enabling sin, okay? You have, I mean, you guys in high school, right? You guys have a friend, okay, who's broken a promise, who's broken a promise after promise after promise, right? And you forgive them and you forgive them and you forgive them, right? But if you never talk about it, right, and you just keep forgetting, you're enabling them. Instead of helping this relationship, you know what you're doing? You're helping them hurt you more, makes no sense to do that. Now, I love that uh, Ryan, I, walked, I did this with Ryan, and he was in eighth grade. And I don't know the full story because it was a long time ago. But Ryan, you had a friend, and it was like, at the beach, and he rubbed you the wrong way. And Ryan had an opportunity to either stay silent, okay, or go talk to his friend, And Ryan had the courage to pull his friend aside and have that tough conversation as an eighth grader. Like, I thought that was so cool that Ryan did that. Forgiveness isn't waiting for an apology, okay? that's a lot of us. We'll say, you know what, I'm not going to forgive Matthew until he says I'm sorry, right? Lonnie better be crawling for forgiveness before I forgive her, okay? Forgiveness doesn't wait for an apology, because forgiveness does you benefit. It's to help you. Because you realize that if you don't forgive, you know what happens to you? You become bitter. And you become resentful. And it's like a poison that slowly is going to spread. And you will experience no peace. You'll experience no freedom. Forgiveness, okay, forgiveness means you just, you hand it over to God. You, forgiveness is you take yourself out of the equation all right? And you remember that it was God who said, vengeance is mine. And you trust that God's going to take care of it. Either God's going to save them and transform their lives or God's going to judge them. But one of those two things is going to happen. You can trust that God will take care of it. But you got to let that go. And you've got to forgive. Forgiveness is not forgetting. I don't know who came up with, with this baloney that forgive and forget. Right? I mean... Can you imagine going to the wife whose husband committed adultery and you tell her, hey, just forgive and forget? Do you think she's ever going to forget? Ever? No. Forgive and forget, that's, that's not a real thing. Now, yeah, the scriptures say, like, God remembers our sin no more. In the same way, do you think God honestly just said, I forgot about all your sin? I don't think God forgets. What it means is God does not hold the past against you. So in your marriages, in, in your relationship with your roommate, with your parents, you can't be an archaeologist, and you can't start digging up the past. If you forgave them for what they did two weeks ago, you forgave them, all right? That is evidence that is no longer on the table that you can use to accuse, all right? That's what it means that God forgets our sins. But forgive and forgetting, that's, that's trash, Forgiveness does not mean the pain goes away. It's not like, if I, for, if I just forgive this person, I'll, I'll just I'll stop feeling pain. Like, some of you have really been hurt, all right? Some of you guys have experienced some real betrayal, right? And you, and you forgave them, okay? But you still remember, and that pain is still present. Uh, it's just, it doesn't mean that pain goes away. Um, forgiveness is not a one-time thing. I think sometimes we think that, you know, I forgave them, you know, and if I forgave them, then I, I, I shouldn't be feeling these feelings towards them anymore, and that's, that's not true. Okay, if you've, if you've had someone really betray you, right, and you forgave them, and then a month later, you see them again, and you know what, what could happen? All those memories and all those feelings come rushing back, and you know what you need to do? You need to forgive them again. And then the 2 months after that you see them again and gosh darn it like right, right again those feelings of anger come back what do you need to do you need to forgive them again sometimes forgiveness is more than a one time thing all right forgiveness is not picking up where we left off okay trust does trust work like that like the way trust works is this trust is slowly given quickly lost I'm going to say it again. Trust is slowly given, quickly lost. Okay? So, for the relative, okay, who is watching your kids, all right, and they, you know, molest the kids, right? I mean, should they be allowed to watch the kids again? I mean, can you forgive them? Yeah, you can can forgive them, but should they be allowed to watch the kids again? No. No forgiveness does not mean we pick up where we left off and finally forgiveness doesn't mean you can't call the cops all right sometimes like people will say oh you know if you forgive them then you shouldn't pursue justice and again i don't think that's what scripture teaches at all i think you can forgive a person and still call the cops and still see them go to jail um so i just wanted to share that now In this ending point, um, I'll ask the worship team. You guys, you guys can start coming up if you if you want. Is I realize, okay, that fighting is going to happen. Right, you are going to fight, but you need to fight well. If you are the one who sinned, you need to know what the rule is for you. Okay, you need to repent and ask for forgiveness. If you are the one who sinned against, you need to speak truth and grace and you need to forgive, okay? A beautiful thing happens when two people play by the, by the rules. It's called reconciliation, okay? It means that what was, what was broken is now put back together. But you know, reconciliation cannot happen if only one person plays by the rules. Reconciliation can only happen if two people play by the rules, and the encouragement that we get actually comes in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. I love this. You gotta, If you're going to hear anything, hear this. It says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In other words, this is the ending point. If you're going to learn anything today, all right, it's, Follow God's example when it comes to your conflict, when it comes to your fight, when it comes to your roommate, your mom, dad, brother, sister, spouse, coworker. Scripture says, if you just follow God's example, do what God does, you're gonna fight well. So what did God do for you? How did? What is God's example? Does. God come along and 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 say, "No, we're not going to talk about your sin. I'm not going to speak up about it. I'm just going to sweep it under my grace rug." Right? But also, is he the kind of God who shows up and tells you that you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and there's no hope for you? What is the gospel? Isn't the gospel both repentance and forgiveness? Isn't it both truth and grace? As I think so many of us we would have better marriages, better friendships, better relationships with our parents if we just followed God's example. The Scripture says that He gave Himself up for you. Right? We call that sacrifice. So my encouragement for me, for you, as I become a husband soon, that I continue to serve as your youth pastor, is to encourage you in your marriages, encourage you as parents, as brothers, sisters, sons, and daughters. Follow God's example. If you give yourself up for your husband, if you give yourself up for your wife, if you give yourself up for son, daughter, guys, if you give yourself up for your mom and dad, you are following God's example and we get to fight well we get to have reconciliation. And I didn't, I didn't talk to the worship team. I didn't know what their closing song was going to be, I swear. But I believe this, the closing song has to do with God offering himself up to us. Let that be a reminder to you. This is whom we follow. This is the God who gave himself up for you to bring you into a good relationship with him. Let's take his example create healthy relationships as well. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, I love that we have a God who calls out our sin. Lord, you know every detail of our sin, and yet you forgive us. Father, I love that you are a God who accepts us how we are, you accept us where we are, and yet you don't keep us where we are but you make us into better versions of ourselves you are constantly and continuously through the power of your holy spirit making straight the things that we have twisted up lord you are the god of both truth and grace the scriptures say that god's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance so let us choose repentance We're not going to wait until we get caught. We're not going to blame shift. We're not going to minimize it. No, Lord, we're going to come clean because that's the right thing to do. When we sin, we're not going to wait. We're going to come clean and repent and ask for forgiveness. If we are the ones in this room who are feeling hurt by somebody, I pray that we would speak up graciously and that we would forgive those whom we need to forgive praise you, God, for being this magnificent God, the God of reconciliation. You are the God who takes ruined relationship and makes right relationship. You're the only God I know that does that of all the religions in the world. You are the one God who laid down his life that we would have a right relationship with you. in Jesus name.